Hello everybody and welcome to episode 39 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai and I'm the editor-in-chief of Auto Trader. And I am Dan Alika. I am Auto Trader's road test editor. Oh, you remembered your name this time. Yeah, every once in a while, you know. Yeah. So today, Dan and I are going to be talking about cars that were ahead of their time. So these were cars that were kind of like pioneering. They did something new back then, but didn't really get the love that they deserved because like people just weren't into that thing that they had. <laughs> or then the other one is that it's like they didn't get any love, but then you look today and go, oh man, if that thing came out like this year, yep. it would be a hit. Yeah, absolutely. So like they were pioneers back then and then now all of a sudden the thing they were offering is cool. Yeah. But back then it got no love. And there's surprisingly like a really long list of cars that kind of fall into this category. This is also kind of like I'm sure if we sat down we could expand on this list and turn this into like a six hour episode. Yeah, so we have like, 10 cars picked out. I don't know if we'll have time to go through all 10. Um, but the kind of the first one that I always think about as being ahead of its time is the Pontiac Aztec. Oh, hugely. So it was around from 2001 to 2005, which is not a very long time. Do you want to know something? Yeah. My parents owned one. Did they? Yeah. Why did they buy it? Uh, we needed something. So it's, you know, we're a family of four. Um, so it, it was kind of when we got to that point where we didn't need a minivan anymore. Um, it was, it could tow 3,500 pounds and we had a camper trailer and it was perfect for that. It had load leveling suspension in the back, uh, and it being just a five seater, like a two row. So there was lots of rear seat leg room for my brother and I, he was, I think 14 and I was 13 when, when we got it. So it was kind of just like the right vehicle at the mm -hmm. right time. And, uh, I don't know. It was just, yeah. Yeah. So people back then, and I mean today, it still holds a reputation of being one of the ugliest vehicles yes, to ever exist, which yeah. I agree with. But if we kind of like squint our eyes and look at the shape that it presented, right? That like kind of sloping roof line with the hard cut off. Lots of cladding. Lots of body cladding. Lots yeah. of extra like headlight elements. Yeah. For the time, no one else was doing that. No. But today, that body style is everywhere. Everywhere. Even Those... if you don't want to admit it. Yeah. It basically was like a pioneer of like the SUV coupe, which yeah. I hate that term so, so much. It's dumb. It's not a thing. But sloping, sport-backed SUV, yeah, the yeah. Aztec was it. The Pontiac Aztec was like the BMW X6 before it was the X6, yeah. right? Or and the now every GLE coupe. Yeah, now every major luxury automaker has one of these yeah. SUVs that look kind of the same yeah. um, based on the silhouette and like the body cladding and yeah. even like all of those extra headlight elements. Like it got roasted back then for having this weird two dual layer headlight. Yeah, the, and like the, the turn signals were up yeah. in the corners. They were separate And units. how many cars today do that? Yeah. It's everywhere. So I feel like if the Pontiac Aztec, you know, with a couple tweaks came out today, yeah. it would actually be very popular. Yeah, I agree. We we also had the tent for the back of it, which was cool. Oh, see, yeah. that was also very pioneering for the time. Yeah. See, and it had all these great practical features, but yeah. nobody gave it love because yeah. it came, it was too quick to arrive. Um, it was definitely ahead of its time. Absolutely. But it is funny that it became kind of like a cult classic because of Breaking Bad. The... Uh, next one on the list that we were divided on 
in just in in terms of like love, I think the Honda Accord Cross Tour was super cool. Okay. Uh, which was like this weird sportback. So it was a, an Accord in terms of like when you looked at it, you're like, oh, that looks like an Accord, but it was like a, had a little bit more ride height. It didn't have like cladding the way like the Aztec uh-huh. did, but like it was sort of, you know, this this elevated version, which I really like that. And then you were like, oh, and the Acura ZDX. And I was like, yuck. Well, the ZDX and the Cross Tour were based on the same vehicle, right? And but I just think- the platform, the styling yeah. of the ZDX, I think, and it, of when you look at vehicles, you still see them every now and then. Yeah. And I do not think the ZDX is aging well. No. Which you see an Accord Cross Tour and it just looks like what it is. You know, I mean, I I think it's a little bit dorky, but but here's well, where easy. I think it failed is because people back then didn't really know what it was. Was it a wagon? Was it an SUV? Was it a sedan? People didn't know, right? And so when people can't classify, they, when the people can't put something into a box, they're like a lot less likely to accept it. But it came with all-wheel drive, which was very unique for the time. Again, that like coupe-like SUV profile was very new, um, and. I feel like if the Accord Cross Tour came out now, it would be very popular. It would be like the crown that we talked about in the last episode, the Toyota crown. I think, yeah. I think Honda was just, you know, ahead of the the game by six years Mm -hmm. or something like that. If it would have came out six years later, I think it would have been a lot more more of a success um, because it was a bit of a flop. Like it did not. Perf- like yeah, it was only around it from uh, 2010 well. to 2015, which is a very short amount of time for a new car. Yeah, but like I said, if it was you know 2016 or or 2020, like yeah. just you know, I think it really would have done a lot more in terms of sales. Well, especially because um, these vehicles that are geared towards more like outdoorsy types of drivers are super popular right now, right? Oh, yeah. Well, all these trims, right? Everybody that wants to project this like, oh, look it, I'm going into the woods. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they're everywhere now. So I think the the cross tour was ahead of its time. Um, So was the Subaru Baja. The Baja ha ha ha. I did see it. That's an actual license plate that I saw once. I've seen it. And I was like, that's the funniest license plate ever. Yeah, it was hilarious. I also want to... So, okay, details for those of you who don't remember... What was that, 20 years ago? So it was out from 2003 to 06. So 20 years yeah. ago. Um, Subaru basically, you know, just took an outback and made this, like, compact pickup truck out of it. Yeah, and so for its time, it was very unique because it was a car-based pickup truck with all-wheel drive. Yeah. Back then, pretty much didn't exist, right? And it was four doors, uh, which also made it unique. Subaru used to build the Brat back in the day, which was similarly, you know, executed, but it was two-door. Right. Uh, that one was also, it, it dodged that the chicken tax in the U.S. by having those plastic jump seats in the back that were basically like Subaru new. So it was a way to avoid these massive import taxes because trucks were, were there was an exception for trucks. I don't remember exactly how it worked, but anyways, it had to have um, four seats. And right. Subaru was like, oh, man, what are we going to do? Because it's only a two-seater. So they put these plastic jump seats, like the type of seats that you like, would find on one of those old, sketchy, um, like off-road, like go-kart Like just a plastic things. little... Like a plastic bucket seat. Yeah. It had two little handles 
that you would like grip onto and like <laughs> seat belts. They were built so that you could just remove them. Yeah. But then they became a collector's item and and brats with the seats were worth more because they kind of, you know, made them that much more special. Yeah. I also want to tell a story about the Baja. Okay. So uh, I worked at Subaru for a, for a few years and as part of, you know, the, the role and every once in a while you'd get to go to Japan uh, to do what they call field work. So when a new vehicle is coming out, it's like kind of right before, you know, let's say like six, eight months before launch, you go over there, you drive the vehicle at the testing facility. They have a whole thing set up. You sit down with the engineers, you look at all the materials. It's just like a, an in-depth, you know, look at the vehicle. And uh, my my VP at the time, Ted Lalka, who's now, now retired, uh, was telling me, about a trip to Japan back in 2002 for the Baja. Mm -hmm. And so they had their field day thing, you know, their field work thing. They drove the vehicle and there were representatives from Subaru of America as well as Subaru Canada. And at the end, they were sitting down with the project general manager asking some questions. And somebody from Subaru of America said, you know, I really like it, but I'm wondering, is there going to be a cap available for it? And he, like, sort of looked and didn't understand what a cap was, so somebody explained it to him. And then he conferred with one of his team members in Japanese, and they're having this, like, you know, kind of intense conversation. And then he turns back to the group and says, they're, they're, uh, we already have a cap for it. And everyone in the room went, oh. And he paused for effect and then went, it's called... The Outback. <laughs> Meaning, Mic if you drop. want the cap, buy the Outback. If you want the open bed of the truck, you buy the Baja. That's the whole purpose of it, right? Yeah. And so the real idea behind the Baja was to have pickup truck utility yes. in a package that had a smaller footprint, was easy to drive, and was more efficient. Yes. That was way ahead of its time because nobody did it back then. But today, we have vehicles like the Ford Maverick and the Santa Fe, which are also, you Cruise. guessed it. Cruise. Sorry, the, the San... Sorry, yeah. Not the Santa Fe. The Santa Fe is the Santa also, Cruz. That, but then again, that also means that there's some confusion in the Hyundai lineup. So what's that all about? Too many Santas. No claws. Yeah, exactly. Too many Santas, not enough. And clauses. so now today we have a lot of these car-based pickup trucks. And so if the Baja came out today, I bet people would buy it. Yeah, I just feel like, especially from a brand like Subaru. It makes so much sense, like, right? Like what the hell? Yeah. Like it just to me, it's a no-brainer. I said it when I was there, uh, when I worked there, and I'm like, man, if there was a candidate for it, the Ascent would be the perfect one where I think, not that the Outback is too small, but I just think like if you were to take an Ascent and, you know, modify it to to serve as a pickup truck, a little bit longer, bed on the back, I think people would be like, oh, this thing's pretty cool. I mean, especially because Subaru, like, they really cater to outdoorsy, adventurous people. And so I feel like that's a no-brainer for them, right? Yeah. yeah makes so much sense. Anyways. Um, this next one you brought up, actually. Oh, yeah. It's the Buick Regal Tour X, yeah. which was around from 2018 to 2020. We did not get it in Canada. For some reason, you could only buy one in the U.S. For I was able to drive one because I worked for a U.S. publication at the time. Um... 
it only lasted two years, which is very yeah. sad because it was very good. It had all-wheel drive. It had all body cladding. Yeah. Um, very much like a, like a Subaru Outback, but yeah. a bit more luxurious. And, like, I just I, – that Regal, um, the styling of it was fantastic. And it, it translated so well to a wagon. Yep. The one we got was the – Sedan? Was this, like – was that like yeah, sportback, yeah, coupe kind of sedan thing, and I remember when it came out, like every Canadian auto journalist went, "You gave us the wrong one." Yeah, like if you were going to choose one and not the other, you know, wagons tended to not so much anymore, not just because they don't sell them, but just in general, wagons have have fallen off. But like wagons always did better historically in Canada than they did in the U.S. That's in right. terms of like a percentage of sales. So the fact that we got the, I can't even remember what the, what the version of the Regal that we got was called in addition to the, to the regular uh, sedan. But yeah, we didn't get that wagon. And I was like, this is just bizarre. Yeah. So why was that ahead of its time? I don't know. It's just like, you know, if you take a look at we, we talked about it in the last episode, like the Mercedes right. E-Class all-terrain. Now, the Audi A4 and A6 all-road existed before that. But Buick has always occupied this weird in-between space. It's not quite premium, but it's also not mainstream. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those vehicles that was kind of a crossover without being a full-fledged crossover. And those seem to be, it's like all these you know SUV coupes these days. It seems to be all the rage that is like, well, I want an SUV, but I don't really want an SUV. It's like, boom. Yeah, and then get yourself a wagon with all-wheel drive. It's perfect. Yeah, I thought they were super cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It's kind of a shame we never got it here. Yeah. Um, here's one that I don't know if a lot of people even remember. Uh, the Cadillac ELR. Yep. It was around from 2013 to 2016. Um, what it was was a, a two-door, very uh, angular-looking plug-in hybrid. It has 60 kilometers of all-electric range, and it was based on the Chevrolet Volt, V-Volt. Yes, V-Volt. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it failed because it came at a time when people did not give a crap about electrification. It was also super expensive. It was $35,000 more expensive than the Volt it was based on. And it's not just that the powertrain was shared with the Volt. It was like the infotainment system and everything like yeah. the the climate controls you it felt like a little bit of a dolled up volt and so yeah. you, you're paying a lot of money for something that you know was was kind of a a flop waiting to happen yeah exactly and the timing was just so bad because yeah. in 2013 nobody cared about electrification gas was cheap nobody cared and so it, it failed pretty quickly yeah um but it was definitely ahead of its time because today luxury p halves are all the rage yeah. every luxury automaker has a plug-in hybrid now maybe not in this weird body style like a plug-in hybrid coupe was kind of doomed ironically to fail. you know what brand doesn't what cadillac yeah i know <laughs> Cadillac went, well, this didn't work. That's We're never true. doing it again. So they went straight from having uh, gas-powered vehicles to full electric. Yeah. They didn't even go back to plug-in hybrids, nope. maybe because they were too too salty about the previous experience. Yeah. But, um, but definitely ahead of its time. Yeah. I think it was weird. It I was weird. It was poorly executed. Yeah. But, you know. Uh, another one, the BMW i3. Yeah, so that was a little tiny electric vehicle that was around from 2014 to 2021, so not that long ago, yeah. right? Um, 
And I think in 2014 when it came out, it was ahead of its time because, yes. again, at that time, nobody cared about electrification. But it was also very, like, weird looking yeah. and, like, kind of dorky. Yeah. And I don't think people, if they weren't into electrification, they really weren't going to be into it if you looked like a dork driving one, yeah. right? <laughs> it was really it was really bizarre, and but in a cool way. Um, remember, it was like, you know, it had real wood trim and, like... It was, like, cool in terms of, like, sustainable materials. Like, it was a big reach for BMW to, like, be like, we're going to do something so different. And they were one of the first to try experimenting with more sustainable materials. Like, nobody was using, I think they used bamboo trim. No one was doing that. It was super, super cool. And I just think that, um, but, yeah, if it came out, you know, now, I think, not that it would have done astronomically better in the sales charts, but I just think that people now are more receptive yes. to like weirdness in the elect. Cause I mean, you could kind of say the same thing about the Prius. Yeah. You know, it was very odd. Uh, and I it used to be the butt of so many jokes. Yeah. You know, but I it- remember a guy in California once driving a Prius and it was like a, you know, a quote on the back of his car. And then it was like cool Prius. And it was attributed to no one ever. <laughs> Which I thought was such a funny sticker. That's adorable. But the BMW i3 wasn't really a flop globally. It kind of flopped in North America. But globally, they sold like a quarter million of them. So it it was was like popular in Europe and stuff like that. But in North America, where people like big cars that were gas powered, it was just not very well timed. And like the pizza cutter wheels. Remember (laughs) they were huge, but really narrow. Like, yeah. Anyways, that was a weird one. Um, But definitely ahead of its time. And then we talked about the Prius when it first came out. So the other one to talk about is the Honda Insight. Well, the first gen Honda Insight came out in 2000 and was around until 2006. And what's funny about the first gen Honda Insight is that it got here before the Prius. So the Prius usually gets uh, credited as being the first hybrid vehicle, but that's incorrect. It's actually the Honda Insight. Now, it was within... Seven months. Yeah, like... um, And the Insight, I don't know if you guys remember the first one, but it was this little hatch it was sort of like a modern take on the crx in a weird way and it had those fairings over the back wheels so yeah so it covered a portion of the rear wheels for better aerodynamics yeah and again like i don't think people were really ready to have a fuel efficient vehicle that looked so weird at the time and then related to it was the Honda's CRZ. Yeah, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about why the Insight was ahead of its time, right? So first of all, um, now cars like this are everywhere. Hybrid, uh, affordable hybrid compact sedans. But it was also, uh, it came with a manual transmission at first. The first couple years it was available in Canada, it was a manual transmission hybrid vehicle, which like does not exist. But I remember the CRZ with the manual. That one also had a manual, but the CVT was, uh, I think for Honda, it debuted in the Insight. And back oh. then, CVTs were almost nowhere to be found. And today, they're everywhere. everywhere. So I think the, the Insight was ahead of its time for many reasons. Fair. Um, yeah. But the timing was off because just people weren't ready for it at that time. And then getting to the CRZ, yeah. So this was actually the you know, spiritual successor to the CRX, both in terms of styling uh, and the fact that you could get it with a manual. So it was a sporty hybrid. Yeah. And that was around from uh, 2010 to 2016. Yeah, they were cool. They were really cool. I remember wanting one, um, but I remember like the infotainment system was junk. 
Yeah. And it just but, didn't really work for me. So I think the CR, the, that car was ahead of its time because it blended sportiness and efficiency, right? And back then, nobody was really into that. But today, yeah. that's a very common thing to see. Yeah. So again, if it came out today, it might might have done better. You know what all of this reminds me? And, and this is kind of like a, you know, it falls in between the episode of, of cars that were ahead of their time uh, and, you know just like kind of cars that that we wish never went away or whatever. Right. Uh remember the the Toyota Prius V? Oh yeah, it was like a like a not a minivan, but like a a wagonish kind of version of the Prius? Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was it was sort of like a Kia Rondo but not quite. It was like this weird in between. It didn't have sliding doors. It was four full. But it was very roomy. Four, or did it have sliding doors? I don't think it did. No, I don't think so. But anyways, I just remember now I'm like seeing the Rondo in my head and, yeah. and you're the, thinking of the Mazda Oh, the Mazda 5? Yes. Yeah. That had sliding yeah. doors on it. But yeah, the the Prius V and that was another one. I I seriously considered it, but the infotainment and the remember the little shifter the little gear selector in the prius yeah. from that generation and i was like i couldn't live with this thing the and little I, nubby thing yeah and i just it was not from a from like a user friendliness perspective it's too I was radical like, oh, for the time i couldn't I think. but i think so it wasn't really ahead of its time because i don't think that people would buy it now if it no, came it's out way too but niche. it was like super cool yeah i agree yeah. let's just call that a, a list of super cool cars that aren't really cool. Well, we some of these, cool. yeah, I don't know. So, like, this one was very interesting. The Suzuki SX4. That was way ahead of its so time. So, it was out from 2006 to 2013. It was a, a little hatchback, um, but it was unique at the time because it offered all-wheel drive. And back then, no hatchback offered all-wheel drive. Well, before that, in fairness, and it was smaller, but... Subaru had the Justy. Right. Okay. So similar thing, but... But in that era, yeah, it was very unique. It was its own thing. It sold reasonably well, and it was cool in a way. It was like... Because remember Suzuki was really into like the Pikes Peak thing, like the hill climb? And this was kind of like the the consumer-driven manifestation of like, how do we take like this little hatchback that we're building to do this... You yeah. know, to rip up this mountain and do it in a something that people would actually buy. Yeah, and it. so at the time, really, the only way you can get four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive if, is if you got an SUV. And so they wanted to give Canadian drivers something with that added traction, but, you know, not such a big footprint. And it came at a time when subcompact crossovers did not exist. Yeah. That's a very today There's, thing. <laughs> I think, like, the thing to remember about this is, like, okay, so... Subaru sold the Impreza back then as a hatchback, but the Crosstrek didn't exist. And this, again, is where one of those things where the SX4, it wasn't like jacked up and like, you know, you could take it on a rough trail, but it was a little more of a precursor to a crossover and not just another hatchback is the way I would kind of look at it. Yeah, super ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, because today, you know, subcompact crossovers are all the rage. Like we said in a previous episode, they're basically replacing uh, compact hatchbacks. Yeah. Um, so very ahead of its time. The Suzuki brand did not last very long here, unfortunately. Yeah, that bums me out, I think. Like, I remember that was a, a victim of, like, the recession. Yes. And, you know, it hung on for, for much longer than I think 
people like it was kind of on life support for a long time yeah uh, and then finally went away but but I think you can still buy Suzuki trucks in Canada I think like I think like so yeah kind of um like commercial trucks yeah and not very big ones like cab over style mm. smaller um and they're they're cool, but yeah, you don't see Suzuki's around anymore. But it's interesting because I remember at the time, like I was I was working in the industry back then, so I remember like reviews coming out for Suzuki's that were out at the time, and people like generally really loved them. They thought like this is this is a very solid vehicle, yeah. very good value. Remember the Kaza- Kazashi? Kazashi, that, that was great. Was, the styling of that, wow, that thing was awesome, and it was. I think it was available with all-wheel drive. I think it was, yeah. Another vehicle that was ahead of its time, Honorable right? mention yeah. to the Suzuki Kazashi. Good job. Uh, last one. Good job. <laughs> Good job, Suzuki. Um, last one on the list, which is like a, a way, back, way back playback here, is the AMC Eagle. So American Motor Car. Yes. I think was the, this was, was the acronym. Around from 1980 to 1987. It was, I described, now this one's hard because Subaru existed. Subaru built um, the, the Leone or whatever it was called, was available in a wagon and a sedan with four wheel drive. I've been to a Subaru museum in Japan where you can see all of these like old 70s, you know, cool. slightly jacked up. Uh, four-wheel drive cars but for the North American market because the first one that we got um, was the legacy I believe in terms of like having that four-wheel drive and or, or all-wheel drive um, but the AMC Eagle was available as a sedan as well as a wagon and it was like a jacked up car with four-wheel drive. Yeah, and so it's it's widely recognized as the first crossover at a time when the word crossover didn't even exist. And so it was really well, pioneering in that sense. I think it it's widely recognized as the first crossover in the most literal sense. Yes. It like now we call crossovers anything that isn't like a body on frame SUV. But this is like the the kind of just like boiling it down to like it is a cross between a car and an SUV. Yeah. It's a crossover. Yeah. But like that's not the sense that we, you know, use that term anymore. No, not at all. But the objective for, for that vehicle was that it was supposed to have affordable all-wheel drive, comfortable car-like ride and handling, light off-road capability. Sound familiar? It's like every single outdoorsy focused vehicle that's on sale today. It's crazy. That thing the was, Wilderness yeah. Outback, boom. Yeah, way ahead of its time. Yeah. You still see them every now and then at like quirky car shows. Because yeah. it's not like a classic in terms of like a collector, people love them. Um, but the people who love them do really love them. The sedans you don't see as much as the wagons. But yeah, there were sedans. I feel like there was even a coupe version of the Eagle. That was jacked up and had all-wheel drive? Yeah. That's cool. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. yeah. I always remember, like, yeah, seeing them around when I was a kid and thinking they were pretty neat and, like, yeah. But I'm telling you, anybody out there listening that, you know, wants to do a little digging, there's, there's like, a cool history with Subaru uh, and, and older models. And back in those days, I remember, like, even the Justy, which was available, like, you could buy that in Canada um, through, like, the mid-'90s or something. But those older Subarus had like a button activated all wheel drive system. And some of them were like on top of the gear stick. Cool. 
I'd also like to give an honorable mention to a car that was ahead of its time, uh, and there's a whole bunch, but the Toyota Tercel four-wheel drive wagon was super cool, and that was like a really quirky design. Remember, it was kind of tall, and it had like the rounded glass at the top, and like, it was, anyways, that was a really cool, um, that was like a pre-Crosstrek. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, there's so many of oh, these. Like I said, this could be a six-hour episode. I know. We could just go crazy. Yeah, there were so many cars that were, like, good but poorly timed. Um, yeah. It would be interesting to revisit this list in, like, 10 or 20 more years to see what Put it Put her in the time like. capsule, Jones. Yeah. <laughs> we'll revisit this. Um, before today's Ask an Expert segment, here's a message from the good people at Auto Trader. Save time and money by using AutoTrader, Canada's most trusted place to buy and sell new and used cars. AutoTrader has the most cars and one of the best features is price badging so you can feel more confident that you're getting a good deal. So today's Ask an Expert comes from Garrett from Guelph. Greetings, Garrett. What is that new car smell and is there a way I can replicate it? I mean, I know there are, you know, air fresheners that claim to be the new car smell and, you know, not just like the cardboard air fresheners, but like little cartridges. There's and like little, sprays and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's never going to be exactly the same because it is essentially the newness of like all of the plastics and the And adhesives. the adhesives. And, yeah. And they all, and like... You know, as they wear, it's just like, I don't know, let's say you, you bought a leather jacket and like when you first get it, it's or a purse or a wallet, there's that smell. And then over time with use, it just kind of goes away. Yeah. That's, so that's a process called off gassing. Um, and that's basically when these new plastics and adhesives just kind of like release those chemicals in vapor form. Like it's not yeah. enough to be toxic or anything. In large quantities. Well, is. you don't want to like sit there in the heat with your windows up, like huffing that stuff. <laughs> or you do. I don't know. Depends what you're own. into, I guess. Yeah. But you know, it happens when you paint a room, for example. Yes. but Same kind of process. But yeah, replicating it. It's also funny how different um, each brand, like Mercedes has always had a very distinct smell that I've always kind of equated to like baked goods. But they have those like uh, little air fresheners. Oh, I don't mean those. There. I just I mean like just it like just the, comes the smelling adhesives like, and stuff oh. like that have this like smell because some some brands you know try to reduce or eliminate altogether like toxic chemicals. Um, it's also why like you know wiring harnesses and stuff like that um, and like the the actual like jacket on the wiring it can be made from. It's why animals like to eat them because it's like you know biodegradable like byproducts right. um and so that also is going to be part of it you've got all this new wiring that's off gassing so it leads to these like this mix of smells that's like that new car smell is is one of like the the kind of secondary benefits of buying a new car yeah exactly it's funny though because when i was doing the research for this episode um i read that in in china people did not like new car smell because oh. they thought it was pollution Oh. And so they they like did a bunch of research to try to figure out how to eliminate the new car smell in China, but They're still have the new car smell in North America. Paying people to hack darts and sit in their <laughs> dirty jeans on the seats until the smell's gone. Yeah, I don't know. They it can was... gladly send all that new car smell to me. Just bottle it up and, oh, and I'd package take it. it. Yeah. Just a little sniff every once in a while. Yeah. You could get some good mileage out of that. Anyways. 
Thank you, Garrett, for your question. If any of you have any questions that you would like to ask Dan or I, you can email expert at trader.ca. And that wraps up this episode. So drive safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.